Does anybody watch American Idol? No. Okay. Anyways, if you, if, if you, if you watch American Idol, there, there's this kid on there this year. He's like 19, and he, he's crazy. He jumps all over the place, and he backflips and all that sort of stuff. And that's kind of how I feel this morning, so I'm going to try and keep it contained. And so if, I, if I'm yelling at any point, it's because I'm excited. It's because I'm happy. It's not because I'm angry at you. You want, I'm not, no, back won't, back won't allow for that. We are here and, and we get the absolute joy this morning of, of celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ is risen from the grave. Yes. Amen. You can be excited about that. The, the, it, the greatest news in history is the fact that a man was not found where everyone expected him to be. Have you ever thought about that? Like at any other point in history, past, present, or future, if you misplace a dead body, that is not good news, right? But this morning, that is the greatest news of all time, that they couldn't find Jesus' body where they expected him to be. On Good Friday, for those that were here, we reflected on the cross of Christ. We reflected on the pain, the suffering, and the death of Jesus as he sacrificed himself for sinners. Late in the day on Friday, Jesus's lifeless body was hanging on the cross. And it seemed at that point that death and evil had won. Friday afternoon, the disciples took down his lifeless body from the cross and they hastily prepared him because the Sabbath was upon them. And so the Sabbath began on Friday night and they had to prepare his body very quickly. They couldn't work on the Sabbath. And so they quickly wrapped Jesus' body's body in cloth and placed him in Joseph's tomb. And they went back to maybe the upper room together, we don't know, and had the Sabbath. And that Sabbath came on Friday evening and it lasted through Saturday. And you can imagine that it was a desperately difficult Sabbath for them. You can imagine that the disciples certainly weren't getting any rest in their minds. Their master, whom they had followed for three years, was dead. They were mourning, and likely they were dealing with deep shame as all of them had scattered under Jesus' persecution. Peter, above all, would have been utterly devastated as he dealt with the guilt of denying Jesus three times. As a group, they were probably terrified. They're probably wondering, are the authorities going to be coming for us next? When is it our turn to suffer what Jesus just suffered? It was a horrible day for them. But then the dawn broke on Sunday morning. And Matthew 28 tells us that Mary and the other Mary, they got up and they went to the tomb early. And the narrative in Mark's gospel adds details for us that tell us why they went to go to the tomb. Mark records that the women brought with them spices in order to anoint Jesus' body. They were going to finish what they were not able to do on Friday in their haste leading up to the Sabbath. They wanted to complete the burial process for Jesus. And that tells us one thing. They expected a body. They expected to find him exactly where they had left him. But then the women arrived at the tomb and they were met with a very different scene than they could have expected. They arrived at the tomb and an earthquake hit. 
The stone rolled away from the tomb, and at the same time, an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, and he sat on the stone. The guards who were watching the tomb, they fell to the ground, appearing dead. They'd passed out from fright. And the women were scared. But the angel spoke gently to them, and he said, Do not be afraid. And then the angel gave the women the greatest news that anyone has ever given. Better than the announcement of the birth of a child. Better than the announcement of a forthcoming marriage. Better even than the news of a recovery from illness. The angel said to the women, He is not here. Amen. (laughs) He is not here. Why do you seek the living amongst the dead? He's not here. And that is what we are celebrating this morning. The news that Jesus' body was not where it was supposed to be. We gathered this morning with tens of millions of people around the world to celebrate this fact. It is news that has reverberated around the world for the past 2,000 years, reaching countless people and changing the lives of countless souls. It has impacted the greatest of metropolises and the most remote tribes in the far reaches of God's creation. He is not here he is risen this is what we celebrate this morning and so as we celebrate today what i want to do is i want to look at the account in matthew 28 verse 1 to 10 and i want to consider how the events of the early morning after the resurrection reflect the life and the mission of a follower of jesus Because I've read Matthew 28, 1 to 10 countless times this week, and that's what keeps sticking out to me. The parallels between the women's experience on Easter Sunday and the experience of every person who places their faith in Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you so much for this morning. God, I give you praise for this day. We all give you praise for today, Lord, that you sent your son to die on a cross for our sins. And Lord, that he did not stay dead, that he has risen. And this is the greatest news in all of history, that because Jesus is risen, we are free. And so, Father, as we look at your word today, as we reflect on what you've done for us, I pray, Lord, that you would... Show us afresh in our hearts the beauty of what you've done. And Lord, for those who are here today that maybe don't know you, don't have a relationship with Christ, would you reveal to them the first, for the first time the truth of what Jesus has done for them? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would work a mighty work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so Rochelle uh, read Matthew 28, verse 1 to 10 for us. Uh, and kind of gave us the full scene of what was happening. But I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to verse 5. And so the scene is set before us with the women coming upon this unusual, this supernatural event. And in Matthew 28, verse 5, it says, But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. The women were coming to the tomb early in the morning looking for the crucified Jesus. And this is exactly where every man and woman who comes to faith in Christ begins. You begin by seeking the one who was crucified. Men, women, and children from every nation, tribe, and tongue seek the crucified Jesus when they come to the realization that they are a sinner in need of a Savior. 
Every one of us here, every person who ever lived since Adam and Eve are born in sin because of the fall that happened in the garden when Adam and Eve ate of the fruit that God told them not to eat of. Their rebellion brought sin into the world and with it separation from God. And through one man's sin, sin spread to all men. So that from the moment we are born, we are guilty and rebellious, sinfully resisting God and his rightful claim over his creation, rebelling against the one who created us. Paul says in Romans 1 verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In sin, Paul is saying, We suppress the truth that there is a God, that we are created beings, that there is a given and natural order to creation. The truth is suppressed in individuals' hearts as well as collectively in cultures and nations. And we can see in our world this tendency to suppress truth in the hearts of humanity. It's so clear in our own culture. Truth has been replaced with narrative. And communication is based on what advances or propagates an end goal that doesn't necessarily need to be true, just beneficial to a cause. It is a tendency of human nature to suppress what is inconvenient. And the truth of God is very inconvenient because it means billions of people are going about life entirely backwards. And there's an immense cost to that. Paul continues speaking about the suppression of the truth in verse 19 to 21. He says, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. This is the problem of sin. We refuse to acknowledge God, even though he is plainly seen in creation. And Paul says, if we are honest with ourselves, we can see it. But although we know God exists, we refuse to honor him or give thanks to him. And this makes our minds futile and our hearts foolish because in refusing God, we then have to come up with our own worldview, which absolutely holds no truth to it. Yet in our ignorance, God showed mercy. This is why Jesus went to the cross to atone for the sin of those who cannot atone for themselves. The reality is that we are all drowning in our sin and Jesus threw us a lifeline through his sacrifice on the cross. But the reality is that some will grab hold of it and others won't. Some will recognize their need and others will suppress it. For those who grab hold of that lifeline, who place their faith in Christ, it is because the Holy Spirit of God does a work in their heart. The Holy Spirit of God is constantly at work in the world, convicting men's hearts of sin, revealing to individuals their need for a Savior, their hardness of heart and refusal to acknowledge God. And when a heart is exposed to the truth and recognizes what it means, that it is sinful, that it is lost, that it cannot rectify it on its own, that heart seeks the one who can make it right, the one who died so that we could live. 
And so just as the women early on Sunday morning, the Eve first Easter Sunday, were seeking Jesus who was crucified. That is where every person who becomes a follower of Christ starts seeking the one who is crucified for the forgiveness of sins. And God promises when we seek him, we will find him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find knock and it will be open to you. Jesus is talking about eternal life here. He's saying, ask and seek and knock. I will open the door to my father's kingdom and you can step through to eternal life because of what I've done for you on the cross. Your sin removed and my righteousness given to you. That is where faith starts. Recognizing your need and seeking the crucified Jesus. But though we seek the one who is crucified, we do not seek him amongst the dead. The women were looking for Jesus amongst the dead, but he's not here. If Jesus was still in the tomb, then there would be no point in seeking him. Lives all over the world would not be changed. If he was not risen, there would be no hope because it would mean sin was not atoned for. Death was not defeated. If God did not raise him, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. This is what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Jesus is not risen, we might as well pack up, go home, sell the building and stop gathering on Sunday mornings because there's no point. Verse 17 to 19, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sin. Then those also who have, been, who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul is saying, if Good Friday was the end of it with Jesus dying on the cross, it was a nice gesture. But it ultimately accomplished nothing. We only call Good Friday good because Sunday follows. And the tomb is found empty. Otherwise, all those who have died believing in Jesus, they stay dead because he stayed dead. And all those who hope in forgiveness of sins and eternal life are to be pitied because we're hoping in something that's not going to happen. But praise God, that is not the case because Matthew 28, 6 says he is not here. He is risen in raising Jesus from the grave. It was God Sealing the work that Jesus did on the cross. It was God saying, yes, it is finished. Yes, sin is defeated. Yes, death is destroyed. I have accepted my son's work on your behalf and freedom reigns for those who are in Christ. That's what this morning is all about. And that leads me to my second point. That's only the first point. Oh, man. It's okay, they get shorter. What, <laughs> what we see in Matthew 28 is this amazing picture of the fullness of who Christ is 
a full picture of the one that we place our faith in. Because the women, they go to the tomb seeking the crucified Christ, just like every sinner begins by seeking the crucified Jesus. But they leave the tomb worshiping the risen king. Matthew 28, 9, and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. Can you imagine? Like, no big deal. Greetings. I'm over here. Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Every man and woman who becomes a follower of Jesus seeks Jesus as our Savior, the Lamb of God. But when we come to faith in Him, we live our lives in Christ with Him as our Savior and King. Because it was on the first Easter Sunday when God established Jesus' rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus himself, after he is risen in Matthew 28, 18, says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. See, Friday is part of the picture and Sunday is the full revelation of the picture. Jesus is savior and king. And what this means for every person, whether in Christ or not, is the one whom died. For forgiveness of sins is also the very one who has authority over every man, over every woman, over every child on earth. Jesus Christ is more powerful than the most powerful, richest, influential leader on earth or all of them combined. He is the one and the only one who has the right to tell every person what they should do and how they should live. He has absolute authority over you, over every city, over every nation, over every state. And the question is not whether Jesus has power. It is whether you acknowledge that power or not. The declaration of Easter is look upon the risen Christ, the king of heaven and earth, who has absolute, unlimited authority over every life. This is what the follower of Christ comes to know. We seek a savior and we find an immutable imperceptibly powerful Savior and King in whom we live by faith, glorying in the fact that He has saved us and bowing before Him as Lord, living under His rule and reign and obeying His word. Easter Sunday demands a response from every person who hears what I'm preaching right now. It's not something that you can hear and just walk away from and go, oh, well. Nick, just a couple weeks ago or last week, he preached on the reality that there's a a certain terror to the resurrection of Jesus. There's a certain authority that we, we have to acknowledge in this king. John Piper, he says it in this way. Here is our Easter witness to the world. The risen Christ is your king and has absolute unlimited authority over your life. If you do not bow and worship him and trust him and obey him, you commit high treason against Christ, the king who is God over all. 
Easter is God's open declaration that he lays claim on every person and tribe and nation and tongue. Easter has to do with power and authority. Easter is the claim of every of the risen Christ on every life that breathes. All authority is mine on earth. Your sex life is his to rule. Your business is his to rule. Your career is his to rule. Your home is his to rule. Your children are his. Your vacation is his. Your body is his. He is God. And so if you resist his claim, feel no admiration for his infinite power and authority and turn finally to seek satisfaction from thrills that allow you to be your own master, then you will be executed for high treason in the last day. And it will appear so reasonable and so right that you should be executed for the, your disloyalty to your maker and redeemer that there will be no appeals and no objections. Your life of indifference to the risen Christ and of half-hearted attention now and then perhaps on Easter to a few of his commandments will appear on that day as supremely blameworthy and infinitely foolish. And you will remember this sermon and weep that you did not change. There is a certain terror to the reality of a risen Christ who has all authority over everything. The question is, do we acknowledge it or not? So if you're here and you don't know this Lord and Savior, Know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He has declared that this will happen and so it will happen. It will come to pass. And the question is, will you bow now and live under his gracious kind, kingly authority, or will you bow later before the judgment seat of Christ when all of this is plainly revealed to be true? And that brings me to my third point. The women sought the crucified Jesus. They found the risen king. They worshiped him. And then they were given a mission. Matthew 28, 6 to 8. He is not here, for he has risen. He, he said, as he said, come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, that there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The women were given a mission by the angel. Go quickly and tell. Go share this news. And that mission is repeated by Jesus when he sees the women in Matthew 28. He says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. They will see me there. And every follower of Christ is given a similar mission. Once again, given in a broader context in Matthew 28, we all know it. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you 
seek the crucified Christ and you come to the risen King and you worship Him, your mission is then to go. Go and tell this good news to others that He is risen from the dead. That is because this is why we are here this morning. That is the hope of the world. It's not enough to come here on a Sunday morning on Resurrection Sunday and hear the good news of the risen Christ and then not go out and tell your neighbors, not go out and tell your people that you work with, not go out and tell everyone this King is risen. We are to go and make disciples of every nation, tribe, and tongue so that every person would bow before this King now rather than later. Our mission is to tell those who have not bowed a knee to Jesus. Praying the Holy Spirit reveals the truth to them as we speak so that they will bow now and experience grace rather than bow later and experience wrath when it's plainly revealed. I want to consider just two more things briefly as we wind down here. I want to consider the women's mindset. I want to end Considering the kindness of Jesus. Matthew 28.8 reveals the mindset of the women. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. The women departed the tomb with both fear and great joy. And, and those are two feelings that mark the lives of followers of Christ. The word translated fear is this Greek word phobos, which means to withdraw, to to remove yourself because of a feeling of inadequacy. And yet that feeling that the women had was mixed with great joy. And this is what followers of Christ feel over and over and over in Scripture. We're told to fear the Lord, to have an awe for the Lord, to have a reverence for him. The women felt fear because they felt inadequate. Oh, isn't that so true? Like, haven't you at some point in your faith felt inadequate in the face of this risen Christ? But it's not a fear that makes us scared. It's not a fear that keeps us from coming to him. It's a fear that causes reverence and awe and gives over to great joy. Because we, we, we look at the Lord and we go, I, I know who I am, God. I know what I've done and yet you saved me and you gave me this incredible mission to work for you, to share the good news with others. Like I I recognize I'm a sinner. I'm undeserving. I feel so inadequate and yet there's this great joy because you chose me. And so I don't have to feel inadequate. You saved me. You gave me grace and I have such confidence because I didn't deserve it. Your grace poured out upon me and so I rest in that. And my hope for every one of us who's a follower of Jesus, that you would you'd always walk with this tension of fear and awe and great joy in the Lord. And it comes when we have the mindset of Paul. Paul said in 1 Timothy 1.15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full repentance, acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Like that's how we should all view ourselves. The, the, the massiveness of God's grace is seen. We recognize God, God, I know how much of a sinner I am. I know what it meant for your grace to pour out over me. And so I am in awe of what you have done. And I just have this great joy because of it. 
because I couldn't earn it. But you gave it to me. And because of that, it's secure. Oh, God, thank you. That's the kind of attitude that followers of Christ walk with. And we can walk with that kind of attitude because of what Jesus says to the women in verse 10. Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and go to Galilee and there they will see me. I think we just end there. Do not be afraid. That's what Sunday morning is about. Resurrection Sunday is about for every follower of Christ. You need not be afraid. Because Jesus has won peace for you. He has won peace with God. He has won peace within ourselves because we no longer wrestle and are are no longer stuck in sin. And he causes peace between men. This is what we see in Matthew 28. When the women went to the tomb, this is what we see in every followers of Christ's life. We come to the crucified Christ and we serve the King of Kings and we walk with this awe and great joy on this mission that he has given us to go and tell those who don't yet know of this truth. And we walk in peace with our God, the one who created us. This is what was won on Resurrection Sunday. This is what we celebrate together this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the glorious truth of the resurrection. Father, thank you for what you won for us through the cross of Christ and the fact that the tomb is empty. And we declare that today with millions around the world. He is not here. He is risen. And because of that, we live free. Father, I pray for those who know you this morning, who are in Christ. God, I pray that you would give them just this fresh love and this this fresh fire that comes from knowing what Jesus Christ has done for us. And Father, I pray for those who don't yet know you. This isn't some fanciful story. This is truth as there is no other. And Father, I pray through the power of your spirit that you would allow those who don't know you to see this as truth, that Jesus is king, that he is the risen savior who died for their sins, that they cannot save themselves. It is only through Christ that we truly live now and for eternity. So God, make this truth known. And Lord, for those who do know it, oh God, may we not keep it to ourselves because it's the greatest news ever. May we go. May we tell. He's not here. He is risen. Thank you, Lord, for this Easter Sunday. Thank you for your son. And thank you that you sealed it when he raised from the, from the grave. In the mighty name of Jesus.